Thank you for listening to The Rebuild, a Seattle Seahawks podcast with me, Rob Staten. Today, I want to talk about the importance of hedging for the draft because today's moves by the Seahawks are a classic case of that. They've made three signings. Artie Burns has come in, a cornerback, a Chenna Anuosu, a pass rusher, and Austin Blythe, who is a center. None of the three are big money players. And Wosu's contract is, I think it's about $20 million over two years, which sounds expensive. And some people have already said, well, this is the most money that Pete Carroll and John Schneider have spent on an outside free agent before. But look, the cap is growing every single year. That's a bit of a red herring, really. I mean, they're going to break that record again and again as time goes on now, as the cap just rises and rises within the NFL. But, you know, comparatively speaking, $20 million over two years, for a pass rusher in his mid-20s isn't a great deal of money, is it? Burns has signed for about $2 million and Blythe for about $4 million, which some people have said is a bit more than expected for him. But, you know, whatever, it's still not a great uh, investment at the centre position. In three key positions now, the Seahawks have bought flexibility at a cost-effective price. And if they get to the draft and a quality pass rusher is sitting there at number nine overall, I'm going to talk about that in a moment, you can take him without feeling like Nwosu uh, is going to be a wasted signing, a waste of money. You would arguably feel that way if you'd paid Chandler Jones $17 million a year because he'd be the most expensive player on the team, along with Jamal Adams, and you would feel obliged to play him. You would want to get Daryl Taylor on the field. You'd want to get um, Carlos Dunlap on the field. So that would be, I think, a little bit more of a waste. With Nwosu, the contract is basically what I would call that of a, a rotational pass-rushing uh, player in, in the modern era. It, that's the kind of salary that he is earning. So I think you can still go to number nine overall now and you can draft a pass rusher with confidence. But if you get to number nine and all of the top pass rushers or at least maybe the one or two that you want aren't there, you are not going to be left empty-handed. You have at least got a player who can fit into that role that you can give a chance to start if needed. That's the positive thing about a draft hedge. Now, at centre, Blythe's addition is not going to prevent you from taking someone like Cole Strange or Cam Jurgens in round two. I don't think it's completely out of the question that Tyler Linderbaum's going to be there in round two for Seattle either. So if you want to, you've got the option of going down that road with either the 40th pick or the 41st pick. And Artie Burns doesn't prevent you from targeting a corner either. Now, they don't generally take those players early. They tend to wait for cornerbacks later in the draft. But again, you know, if there's one there in round two, round three, round four that you really want, Artie Burns isn't going to stop you being able to do that. All three players are in the 20s. They could be part of a core moving forward. But if not, there's no long-term financial damage to be had by signing these players. And as I mentioned, if the draft goes against you in certain areas, you will not feel like you have gaping holes at these three positions. You have got three options there. Now, admittedly, you can't have a roster full of hedge players. You need to have talent too. And the Seahawks have got some big remaining needs that they need to fill. For example, both offensive tackle positions remain a big question as I'm recording this podcast. But they've bought some flexibility and some options here in what has been a really positive day, in my opinion, for the Seahawks. Equally, I wouldn't want them to settle on this trio as a job done. So I hope they do bring in a left and right tackle and a running back at least to set up their options in the draft. I don't want them, for example, now to go, we've addressed sense, we've addressed cornerback, we've addressed pass rusher, let's go and get a left and right tackle in the draft and a linebacker to replace Bobby Wagner and then a running back and, and the roster is complete. I would rather have the draft complement these, these additions that you have made. 
and are going to make in the coming days, not just fill your remaining holes. So what, how is this impacting the draft then? How is it shaping everything? And I've talked a little bit about this on the blog today. For me, at number nine overall, the number one plan A target should be Jermaine Johnson, the pass rusher. I've been saying since the early in the college football season, from the minute that I watched Florida State against Notre Dame, that Jermaine Johnson looks like the complete pass rusher. He's got size. He's explosive. He does a good job against the run. He's got a good motor. He can win with speed off the edge. He's got great hands. He can play with physical force in his hands as well. And then he goes to the combine. He runs a 1.55 10-yard split, which is an elite time. He goes to the senior bowl, and he puts on a terrific performance and dominates in 1v1s and looks the part. For me, there isn't a single player in this draft I want more at number nine than Florida State's Jermaine Johnson. But I fear a little bit that other teams are going to think that way too. And you have got teams in front of you, whether that is Jacksonville at number one, whether it's Detroit at number two, Houston at number three, the Jets at number four, the Giants have got five and seven, and then you've got Atlanta at number eight. All of these teams potentially are going to be in the market for a pass rusher. Now, some of them are going to look and say Aiden Hutchinson's a good option, a preferable option. Some of them may say Kayvon Thibodeau is a preferable option. Or Travon Walker had a great combine as well. But how many of them are going to say that David Ajabo is better? Some might. Some might prefer the upside of a David Ajabo over Jermaine Johnson. But I get the sense that most of them are going to look at Johnson and think, yeah, we'll have some of that. I'm not sure he's going to be there at number nine. And frankly, personally, even with the Uchenna Unwosu signing, I'd like to look into the possibility of maybe jumping ahead of the New York Giants at number seven and the Atlanta Falcons at number eight. Because I think the Giants are going to take an offensive lineman with their first pick. Can you do a deal with Scott Fitterer, who is in Carolina at number six? Assuming they still keep the number six pick and what happens to Deshaun Watson, can you jump ahead of those two teams to ensure that you get Jermaine Johnson? What would the price for that be? Could it be a fourth and a fifth? Do you have to give up a third? Do you have to give up something more than that to move up a couple of spots? I think it's an interesting conversation, but I will be very much open to doing that to make sure you get Jermaine Johnson. Because I think if you go into next year with Daryl Taylor across from Jermaine Johnson, that can be a heart and soul impact for your team. They can be the future of your team, the future identity of the team. And they'd be well supported with Carlos Dunlap, Chenna Wosu, potentially Benson Mayoa, and the options you've got a defensive tackle. I think that would be a much better looking defensive front. Not, a, not an elite one necessarily. I still think they need to be better up front in terms of that dynamic interior presence. There are some players in this draft that they could go after who could help there, but it looks as if with Harris coming in and Woods being retained and the other guys that they've got, that they're going to stick with, with what they have. But Jermaine Johnson would certainly be a start. If it's not him, then you know I would hope that Kayvon Thibodeau would be there at number nine. But again, I don't know if that's likely to be the case. And I still think there's a reasonable chance that he could go number one overall, despite what everybody's saying. And we saw this with Miles Garrett. People were calling Miles Garrett a bit of a, a recluse, somebody who's you know cut from a different cloth. People were talking about the fact that he writes poetry or he reads poetry or something. Uh, and that was seen as a big knock on him when he was at his combine. Um, we're seeing th similar things with Kayvon Thibodeau now. You know, too often we're looking for the perfect individual Kayvon Thibodeau may not be the best interview, may not be the best interview to the media or to the teams at the Combine, but the fact is he's a very talented player and I would expect that he's still going to go number one overall. But if he does fall, can he last to number nine? I think it's very unrealistic, but if he did, he would be a great option too. I think David Ajabo is just a little bit too raw. Trevon Walker, I don't think he's that screaming off the edge pass rusher that the Seahawks need. 
Um, I don't know what they would do if those two guys, Johnson and Thibodeau, were gone. They are the two that I'm focusing on, though. They are the two that I consider moving up for. And if they are not there, then what do the Seahawks do? Do they pivot to a Trevor Penning or somebody like that? I could imagine them really liking Trevor Penning. Do you trade down? You know, I'm a big fan of Boya Mafe, but when he measured at the combine, he had sub 33 inch arms, which is a little bit off putting. Has everything else, though. There are other players that you could target in that sort of middle of the first round range. But I think really, I'd quite, I'd, I'm just going to keep my fingers crossed and hope that when the Seahawks get on the clock at number nine, one of those two guys is going to be there. The other thing to mention, though, and this was the bulk of my blog article earlier today, is what happens at the quarterback position. Because as we sit here right now, the Seahawks have not done anything other than add Drew Locke. And the veteran options, you know, those sort of cheap one-year deals that you can bring in are diminishing. I don't expect they're going to look at Jameis Winston. I don't see them going after a Ryan Fitzpatrick or an Andy Dalton. I don't really see the point of that. You might as well start Drew Locke or Jacob Eason. Marcus Mariota just doesn't seem to have any buzz. And, and I wonder a little bit what's happened with him. He went to the, to the Raiders, was the backup there. Didn't get it, didn't even take a chance to go somewhere and start last year. He was just settled in and being the backup again with the Raiders. And I wonder if people sort of think, yeah, do you know what? This guy, he's never going to sort of return to being a starter in the NFL. He's just worked his way into being a good backup. So, what are they going to do? You know, there's this, we're all kind of waiting to see where Deshaun Watson lands and whether, you know, Matt Ryan becomes available or, or Baker Mayfield. I just have a hard time wondering how the Seahawks get a deal done with those two teams. Atlanta traded. Mohamed Sanu for a second round pick three years ago to the Patriots. I don't know how they pulled it off, but they did. And it was, a, it was an absolute steal. And then they traded Julio Jones for a second round pick a year ago. And the Titans had him for one year and they just cut him today. So they're going to be thinking, we're going for the hat trick here. They'll want at least a second round for Matt Ryan. And I'm not prepared to pay a second round pick for Matt Ryan, age 37. I watched Matt Ryan live in London Wembley against the Jets um, in the season that's just completed here. And Matt Ryan physically is, he looks like a 37-year-old. And with Baker Mayfield, I was interested in the quote that I think it was Chris Mortensen attached to sort of the Browns or whether it was somebody sort of reflecting on the situation saying that the reason that the Browns want to move on from Baker Mayfield and might look at Jimmy Garoppolo if it's not Deshaun Watson is because they want an adult to be their quarterback. That to me does not sound like the kind of person the Silks would really want to pivot to at this point and how much would it cost to get him? I mean, if you're taking on his entire $18 million salary, first of all, that's an incredibly large salary to have to absorb. Um, but then how much is it going to cost in the draft? You know, if Cleveland offered to take $10 million of that, for example, which I don't think is very likely, are you then having to pay some like a second-round pick for this guy or a third-round pick for, what, a one-year rental? I mean, I would only take Baker Mayfield if it was a throwaway pick or if the Browns are practically giving him away and it was a shot to nothing. In that instance, if you get a shot to nothing with him, then fine. I think it's interesting that Mayfield has pretty much attached himself to the Seahawks today. By uh, There's been a, a report out saying that he would be open to, to coming to Seattle aside from the Indianapolis Colts. I think he's basically maybe learning that the Colts are a little lukewarm on him as an option, and he's broadening his net out now and including Seattle. And look, it would be interesting to see how that played out, but I'm not particularly interested in it. And let's just assume that it's not Mayfield and it's not Matt Ryan. What then? You know, are they, are they legitimately going to go into the next season with Drew Locke as their quarterback? And this is the thing I keep wondering, because this is what I hope doesn't happen. And I've written about this in more detail in the blog, so go and check it out. But the Seahawks love tools, or more specifically, John Schneider loves tools. 
Russell Wilson had a big arm and he was mobile and he created. Patrick Mahomes had the same. Schneider supposedly loved him. The Seahawks apparently had a conversation with the Browns about potentially trading for the number one overall pick in 2018, where they would have taken Josh Allen, who was a trait individual, you know, tools, big arm, mobile, another player of that description. Now, when you look at Malik Willis, he is very toolsy. He's got a big arm. He's very mobile. As a runner, he's dynamic. He can create magic and improvise and extend plays. He fits that kind of mold again. And when you look at the scouting reports, and I really recommend checking out the article on the blog about this, to, to remember what people were saying about Mahomes and Allen when they come into the, to the draft, you know, Mahomes was basically described as a Jay Cutler clone. And he had a 25 interceptions in his final two years at Texas Tech. Have you seen anything like that in the NFL? No. And that's probably because he's come in and he's been coached by Andy Reid. And he got to sit behind Alex Smith for a year. And they did things properly in Kansas City. But still, the expectation of Mahomes coming into the league has been completely smashed out of the park. And he has delivered way beyond what those projections were. As for Josh Allen, he was graded as a middling pick by Lance Ehrling in his NFL.com profile. And, and he was equally compared to, unflatteringly to certain quarterbacks as someone who was erratic, who had all the traits, but needed to put everything together. And it took him three years to do it, but now he's developed into an elite player. Willis has definitely got some issues. Doesn't throw over the middle. People were frustrated watching Russell Wilson turn down open receivers to try and extend plays and play hero ball. You haven't seen anything until you've seen Malik Willis do it because he's like that version of Wilson on steroids, frankly, because he will turn down the most open throws and it will leave you so frustrated watching it. It's far worse than anything that Wilson did. And mechanically, there are some flaws. And I think the way that he throws, his positioning, his footwork, the way he shapes his body, doesn't necessarily square his shoulders. I think he will end up throwing late. I think he will be inaccurate at times, maddeningly so. I think it's going to lead to potential turnovers. It did at Liberty. I think he had 18 in his final two seasons, quite a few last year. When there's any kind of pressure, his head goes down and he starts running against Ole Miss. You saw that. They dominated the line of scrimmage. He threw three interceptions, some lousy ones in there as well. But I fear that the Seahawks have just decided that he could be a Mahomes. He could be a, a Josh Allen. And therefore, they'll take him at number nine. And my worry is that rather than the Unwosus and the Blythes and the Artie Burns being the hedge, that they're actually the guys that they're relying on now because they're going to take Malik Willis at number nine. And then when you get to the second round, the pass rushing options are not quite as good. And I think the Seahawks need a game wrecker, quite frankly. I don't think taking a gamble on Willis, as attractive as that might be for the team, to take a chance to see if they can create the next Mahomes or Allen or Lamar Jackson, you know, a player that is not necessarily built up by the media, but then goes on and plays well beyond everybody's expectations. It's a great thought, isn't it, that Willis could end up being a guy like that. If you get a guy like Mahomes or Allen at number nine, no one is going to second-guess the Seahawks. And if they draft him at nine, I'll give him the, the chance. You know, I'm not going to write that off or complain. I will give him a chance to get out there and play some football for the Seahawks because nobody expected Mahomes to be what Mahomes is. No one expected Josh Allen to be what Josh Allen is. They've gone well beyond expectations. So you have to give them a chance. However, my preference would be not to do that. And it will be to get the pass rusher at nine. And then I, I don't know where Willis is going to go. You know, people, some people think he might go number two overall because of the off season that he's having. Uh, other people might think he might last into range for the Pittsburgh Steelers. 
And if he if he stays on the board into the teens, hey, if you really like him that much, trade up and get him in round one. But I would rather not take him in number nine. And the only reason I would be even considering that is if they knew something, if they'd seen something, Schneider and Carroll, that made them think that this guy was going to be truly elite and the Jermaine Johnsons and the Kayvon Thibodeaux we've got at nine. Even then, I'm not sure I'd be a big fan of it. I'd rather wait till next year. This roster's got a lot of work to do, and I'd be willing to take a back seat this year to hopefully contend next year with a, with a better quarterback draft situation with Will Levis and people like that from Kentucky being part of that class, that if you're, that the patience would be paid off down the line if you were willing to do that. But we'll see what the Seahawks' plan is and, and what they do over the next couple of days, whether they do acquire a Mayfield or a Ryan Will, will potentially impact that. If they trade for Matt Ryan, they're probably, I don't know, maybe they would take Malik Willis still because then I guess you could say he could sit for a year in the same way that Mahomes sat for a year. That might actually be the best possible thing for him because if you have Drew Locke and, and Malik Willis, people are going to be clamouring for Willis from we want. They ain't going to want to see Drew Locke. So I don't know. Maybe that would be the better situation. I'm, I'm not, but I just, I, one, I kind of hope that the Seahawks go with pass rush number nine. And two, I hope the Seahawks don't spend great draft stock in a really loaded class to go and trade for a 37-year-old quarterback or someone like Baker Mayfield. I would only want either of those two guys if essentially they are being moved on for salary purposes and you were getting them on the cheap. What about in round two? I think this is a really interesting draft in round two. The options are fantastic. The Seahawks having 40 and 41 is a real treat and something that fans should be excited about. I hope the Seahawks don't give away those picks. So far, so good. They've resisted any big trades. But you've cut Bobby Wagner. I am convinced they cut Bobby Wagner after seeing the linebacker workout at the Combine, which was fantastic. It was energetic. It was full of loaded talent. And the two players that we have earmarked the most, Channing Tindall and Leo Chanel, they just continue to show us more and more reasons why they're going to be on Seattle's radar. Chanel, explosive testing, a 40-and-a-half-inch vertical, ran a fantastic time at 250 pounds. Tindall ran superbly, running the 4-4s. He had, I think, a 40-inch vertical as well. So very explosive, very fast. Didn't have the short shuttle times, though. Players are not doing it because they're being asked to do it at, like, midnight because the Combine's messed up the schedule. The NFL's messed up the Combine schedule. They both ran the short shuttle their pro days. Chanel, a 3.94 short shuttle. Check out the interview I did with him this week, which is on the channel, uh, on the podcast channel. If you have a look around, it will be on there and listen to that. Check it out. Channing Tindall. Ran a 4.03 short shuttle today at the Georgia Pro Day. Why does this matter? The Seahawks consistently take linebackers who run great short shuttles. So I've got the top 15 times from, I think it's going back to like the 2010 draft. And you just have to have a look here. Cody Barton ran a 4.03, the same time as Channing Tindall. Ben Burke Irving ran a 4.09. Jordan Tripp, they ended up with a 3.96. Kevin Pierre-Lewis, who they drafted, a 4-0-2. So if you run a fast short shuttle, there is a good chance that you will be drafted by the Seahawks. And I think it's almost, if, if either of those players are available at 40 and 41, I think it's almost certain that they're going to seriously consider taking one. Now, they're not the only options. I mean, Quay Walker ran like a 4-2-something at, at, at the short shuttle in the pro day today. He would be an option. I don't know where Devin Lloyd's going to go. Troy Anderson's done very well. Christian Harris running the 4-4s. I'm not a huge N'Kobe Dean fan, but a lot of other people are. You've got Damone Clark. You've got Chad Moomer. You've got Brian Asamoah. But for me, the two names to focus on are Channing Tindall and Leo Chanel with their aggressive nature, their athletic profile. For me, they have got the potential to be exceptional NFL players. 
And if the Seahawks get either of them in round two, I think it would be a home run. And then with the other pick, what do we like to see them do? Well, one option, of course, is to trade into the first round for a quarterback and just take one in round two. And we've, we've all seen the pictures in Matt Corral and, you know, that could be an option there as well. I'd like to see them target Cam Jurgens or Cole Strange or Abraham Lucas if they only draft hedges on the offensive line. We know they have at centre. They are meeting with Trent Brown tomorrow. I'm going to finish with talking about that in a couple of moments. But assuming there's no sort of long-term addition at right tackle or centre, you know, and Blythe is not a long-term option, is a one-year deal, I'd love to see them consider Cam Jurgens or Cole Strange. I think that could be a long-term, much-needed long-term investment at the centre position. Two very athletic, explosive players, great attitude, very physical, violent players. They'd be excellent. Abraham Lucas at right tackle will be a fantastic addition as well. One of my favourite players in the draft. I still think he's going to go in the first round, but if he's there in round two, it'd be a no-brainer of a pick. And on defence, you've got a whole bunch of corners that you could take. And, and let me just run through some of them. You know, Jalen Amore Davis at Alabama is a Rolls-Royce of a cornerback. I've got him as the number three cornerback in this draft. I could see him even sneaking into the late first. Don't be surprised if that happens. I think he's fantastic. I think Trent McDuffie and Cam Gordon will probably be gone. Roger McCleary, very short arms, very diminutive cornerback, but physical, good in man coverage, very sticky in coverage, has got a very good chance to be a very good player. Could be an option in round two. Kaya Elam, I think he's going to go late first based on his size and testing. Tested better than I expected. He could be an option. Cam Taylor-Britt, very physical cornerback. Would love to see the Sox take a chance on him. Tackling's good, ferocious player, but probably be the most physical cornerback they've had since Brandon Brown. And then, you know, later on, Monterey Brown, and there's other players that they could look at as well. But I think the, the point is, there's a lot of cornerbacks they could look at here. They haven't gone as early as round two for that in the past, but there are some appealing options there. I think your options at running back, regardless of what happens with Rashad Penny, are somewhat attractive. You know, I, I, I've noticed that people have been saying that Kenneth Walker or Brees Hall, this is people within the league, some anonymous sources have, have mentioned this, that they are first-round picks with their testing profile who are probably going to go in round two, like Jonathan Stewart. And Brees Hall tested in the Jonathan Stewart range and Kenneth Walker wasn't far away. So would I be against it? Look, a lot of people will scream the house down if they draft a, a, a running back with one of their top three picks. The Seahawks offense collapses without a running game. That's just been proven. And when it when they can run the ball well, as we saw at the end of last season, they can win a lot of football games. So I wouldn't be surprised if they looked at those two guys. I personally prefer to wait till round three and look at someone like Zimia White, maybe Damian Pierce or Tyler Davis-Price, or Tyrion Davis-Price rather. But could I imagine Kenneth Walker or Brees Hall being taken? Yes, I could, especially if Rashad Penny moves on, but we'll see. And then, you know, you could run through other ones. You know, there's defensive linemen, Logan Hall, DeMarvin Leal, Josh Pichel the defensive tackles. You know, there are so many options, aren't there? Even at receiver, I'm a big Kevin Austin Jr. fan. When I was watching Jack Cohen, the Notre Dame quarterback, who I think is pretty good. You know, Kevin Austin just kept jumping off the screen. And, you know, people would say, another receiver? I Listen, if they take Kevin Austin Jr., I think you've got a player who could be pretty special. So I would not be against that just purely based on the talent. So there's a lot of options there. And I want to finish with this Trent Brown link. He's coming in for a physical with the Seahawks tomorrow. His weight has been an issue over the years. He's been injured a lot. He's missed a lot of games. So not surprising that the Seahawks are bringing him for a physical before making a decision on whether they're going to sign him. We've seen people visit with the Seahawks in the past and then go away and, and a deal not been made because the Seahawks like to get people in. They like to try and recruit them, like to try and get their price down. 
And then when the actual offer is made, they go, that's a lot lower than we were expecting. See you later. And they go somewhere else. I mean, that's happened so many times over the years. This could happen again. So I'm not going to get my hopes up. But I really like Trent Brown as a right tackle. He's been one of the best right tackles in the league when healthy. If you can nail down that position with someone like Brown, then again, that would be a really positive move in my opinion. And then I think you look to bring Dwayne Brown back. You look at an Eric Fisher type at left tackle. The roster is starting to come together. You set yourself up for the draft so that you won't have gaping holes on the roster. That has been a problem over the years. It, it, if they can solve those two problems, if they can bring back Rashad Penny, then you could argue that they're set up for the draft then and that they should come out of the draft without any holes and the roster is set and they can move forward. And I guess the quarterback situation, they're, they're going to need to add another one at some point. I would rather push it down into next year. I'm not sure if they will. And if they're going to push it down into next year, I'd take someone like Jack Cohen on day three and just add him into the competition and wait for Will Levis or whoever in a year's time. When you've got even more draft stock and you can see where you are, I think taking it on the chin in 2022 is the way to go. And then you could potentially be pretty good again in 2023. A lot of teams have to do it that way. And the Seahawks can try and be the the outlier who trades a franchise quarterback and then suddenly competes again straight away. It's not realistic. I think being patient is the key thing here to move forward, but we'll see. We'll see. It's certainly going to be a very interesting few days, and we're going to talk about it here. For more conversations like this, plus special guests and analysis on everything Seahawks during this crucial offseason, subscribe to the Rebuild podcast, now available on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. Until next time, bye for now.